0: Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Katie. For those of you I haven't met, I'm on staff here at Crosspoint. Welcome, welcome. We're really glad that you could be here today. For those of you joining us from home, online, so glad you could be here. So we've been in a series for a while now called God on the Move, and we've been walking through the book of Acts. And Mac told us last week that um, we would be taking a little break from that series, and Before we do that, he summarized what we saw in the first nine chapters of Acts. So as a reminder, we called that series God on the Move because we saw that the early church, as they followed the spirit of God, was a church on the move. As they followed God's leading, they became a disruptive force in the world. And last week we saw that they became a contrast community, exiles in empire, and how we are to be the same. But today, I'm really excited to kick off a new series for us. This is a series on prayer, and we'll stay here for a couple months, kind of through the holidays, and then we'll jump back into Acts in the new year. So we're calling the series Pray Like Jesus, and we're calling it that because Jesus gave us the perfect example of how to pray, right? When we look at Jesus, we saw that he prayed, and he taught his disciples how to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he starts it off by saying, this then is how you should pray and so if we want to be disciples then we too should learn how to pray pray like jesus so I know that many of us in this room probably grew up in different faith contexts. Some of you may have grown up Catholic, some of you may have grown up Lutheran, Methodist. You may have grown up in a faith context outside of the Christian religion or in no faith context at all. Um, I grew up evangelical in this exact church actually. We used to meet down the road, what's now Little Dumplings Daycare, if you're familiar with that. And one of the great things about growing up evangelicals, I learned the importance of having a personal relationship with Christ. So we grew up, you know, learning that you could bring anything to God in prayer. You just sort of learned to talk to him like a best friend. We would bring him challenges, heartaches, things we were grateful for. Like I became really comfortable just sort of conversing with God. And one of the practices that was really important was to have quiet time. So if any of you maybe aren't familiar, the idea of quiet time is... um, Waking up, usually, at least for me, it was in the morning. So waking up and spending maybe 20, 30 minutes, however long I could, doing some prayer reading, reading my Bible, um, maybe journaling. I was a big journaler, so I like to journal. And this became a really important practice for me. So quiet time was something I would try to do every day, and it became so important that it almost became kind of a marker for me of whether or not I was like on a good track with God that day. So if I got my my quiet time in, I felt like me and God were good, and I was on a good track, and everything would kind of go well for me that day, and if I didn't get my quiet time in, I felt kind of deficient. Like, I just felt it. I felt off. And I felt kind of guilty about it. Um, but it was a really important practice. So I, I kept that practice of doing a quiet time, you know, much of my childhood. But fast forward, like, 20, 30 years, and I'm in my 30s, and I'm married, and I have three little kids, and I work full time, and it's not so easy to get my quiet times in anymore. Imagine that. Uh, But good thing is I'm a morning person, so we had our community time question this morning. Are you a morning person or a night person? I'm a morning person, so I love the mornings. But my kids are morning people too, so I have to get up like really early um, if I want to get some time for myself in. So a couple months ago, I wake up early, like five o'clock or so, and I'm like couple minutes into making my coffee. I'm really excited. Maybe I'll get a workout in if I'm lucky, time with God, time to work out. And within a couple minutes, I hear the monitor go off. And it's my one-year-old Hudson. And for those of you who have little kids, like, I don't know if when they were babies, they woke up like cooing and giggling in their cribs and like happy. That's not Hudson. (laughs) Like he wakes up cranky and he's also in this daddy stage right now where i go in to get him and he's like no no mama And i'm like thanks i'm the one who's getting up with you and you don't even want to see me so this morning um i'm like oh i just feel that feeling of dread like come over me i'm like no you're not just stealing my time for me like you're taking time with god like this is not okay Um, But I go up in his room and this particular morning he wasn't mad at me, he wasn't cranky and I picked him up out of his crib and as I picked him up he kind of like snuggled and like nuzzled into my neck right here and as he did this I felt like a sense of calm come over me and it was as if God in that moment was saying, Katie, I'm here too. You don't have to get frustrated thinking that the only way I can connect with you is in your perfectly timed, distraction-free, quiet time at your kitchen table. Like I'm here, and I'm longing to connect with you in this moment and be present to you as, as you are present to your son. And that's the idea I want to unpack for us today. As we dive into prayer, I want, to look at, I want us to look at how prayer is about connecting with a God who wants to connect with us. And that's our bottom line for today. Prayer is about connecting with a God who wants to connect with us. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Okay? We love because he first loved us. And the word I want us to notice here is the word first. God loved us First. So this term I wanna introduce is the concept of first mover, okay? So we wanna see God as first mover in this. God doesn't wait for us to move, he moves towards us. And that's because his love isn't contingent on what we do. He doesn't wait to see whether or not we do the right things or the wrong things and then decide whether to move towards us. He just moves towards us. He's first mover. But the truth is we have a hard time with this, I think. Right, like we get this backwards sometimes. We would much rather think that we get to do the right things in order to feel worthy of God's love, right? That's much easier to understand. Why would God wanna move towards us if we can't keep it together, if we feel like we're failing as a spouse, as a parent, as an employee, as a boss? Why would God wanna connect with me if I have a drinking problem? Why would he want to connect with me if I, he keeps giving me all these second chances and no matter what, like I just screw up time and time and time again. I lose my temper. I can't keep my addictions under control. We'd much rather be able to clean ourselves up and then I'll go to God. And then I'll know that I earned it. Then I know that I'll deserved it. But yet, that's not what we see in the Bible. Okay? The story of scripture is the story of a God who pursues his people. It's not the story of a people who do the right things to earn God's love. It's a story of a God who longs for his people and who pursues his people time and time again, even when they turn their backs on him and they go their own way. And we see that throughout the Bible. Starting in the Garden of Eden, um, we see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and God gives them everything they need to flourish. Everything they need. And the one thing he tells them to do is not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobey him. And God goes into the garden looking for them. And he says, where are you? Where are you? And I picture God saying that not as a shaming, judgmental, like he's looking to punish them. He loves them and he's looking to connect with them. Where are you? He longs to reach out to them. We see this in the Old Testament with the Israelites. In the Exodus story, we see the Israelites living in Egypt under the brutal and oppressive hand of Pharaoh and they pray that God would deliver them. They pray and they pray and they pray. And God hears their prayers. He raises up Moses and he leads them out of Egypt. But he doesn't immediately take them into the promised land, right? They end up wandering for a while and they go wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they very quickly forget what God did for them. They grumble about not having enough food. They make idols for themselves. They put God to the test and they turn their backs on him over and over. And how does God respond? He continues to love them and to pursue them and to chase after them. So we see this idea throughout the Bible and then we see it supremely in Jesus. Right? The Bible tells us that God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. While we were enemies, while we had our backs turned on God, he sent his son for us. The ultimate sacrifice to pursue reconciliation with his people not as a reward or a result of anything that we had done but rather as a move towards us in self-sacrificial love and when we look at jesus's life in ministry what we see is that he ends up being kind of the one exception to this rule right he's like the one human being who never turned his back on god rather jesus understood that god was turned towards him in love and then jesus embodies a mutual desire to connect he models like this love-filled response of returned connection towards god so jesus models for us a faithful response to god's desire to connect with, god, with us in jesus we see someone who could meet god anywhere He knew that his time wasn't limited to like the distraction free time like me at my kitchen table. He knew God was everywhere, always present and always wanting to connect with him. And because he experienced the fullness of the Father's love, he wanted nothing more than to connect with him at any time in any place. And this is how it is with us. God wants to connect with us all of the time. All of our life is spiritual formation. Our comings and goings, our Dentist appointments and doctor's appointments and work meetings, the mundane tasks like loading the dishwasher and putting gas in our car and like Wednesday at 4 p.m., it's all opportunities to be with God. Psalm 139, verse seven through 10 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We see from this verse that God is everywhere. He's never far from us. He's always present and he's always near. And when we start to experience that, you guys, like when we truly start to experience that and internalize that, it is jaw-dropping, it's life-altering, It's paradigm shifting, like it shifts our paradigms and the way we understand things. And then we become transformed by that love. And we get to go out and take it out to the world. So we see Jesus experience God's love and his desire to connect with him. And in the context of that connection, we see Jesus surrender all of his life into God's loving care. And there are a few ways that he does this. First, he surrenders his important decisions to God. So um, arguably one of the most important decisions that Jesus made in his life and ministry was selecting his apostles. So the apostles were the 12 people who did life with Jesus. They walked with him and they learned really intimately how to do life in this new way that he spoke of. And the night before he chooses his apostles, he spends the entire night in prayer with God. So I don't know what you all do but the night before you have like a big decision or an exam or a work presentation, but I need like a good night's sleep, a really good meal, maybe a glass of tea, cup of tea. But Jesus doesn't do this. He resists the need to rely on his strength and his resources, and he spends the entire night communing with God in prayer. He surrenders his important decisions to God. And it makes me wonder, for those of us here today, if we have anything on our plate that we need to bring to God. Like, do you have anything like this, big or small? And if you do, are you hesitant? Does it make you a little nervous to think about what it would mean to like, give up control, like truly surrender it to God? If you have anything bubble up, I just encourage you to sit with that. Let God reveal to you what he might be inviting you to bring before him. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane on the night before he died. So we just talked about this, taking communion. Um, And in this moment, the night before he died, he spent the entire night in prayer with his father. Can you even imagine the stress that Jesus was under in that moment? He knows he's going to the cross the next day. And yet he spends the entire night, the Bible tells us, face to the ground in prayer. He didn't go around trying to like relieve his anxiety through doing other things. He didn't try to like save more souls or heal more people, like run around doing more things for God before his time ran out. He spent his time with God. Did he feel stress? Absolutely, he did. Some commentaries tell us that he literally sweat drops of blood. He was so stressed. But he went to God in that moment. So Jesus surrenders his times of need into God's loving care. And in our moments of need, we too are invited to embody this posture. When we feel like the task ahead of us is just far more than what we can handle, when our reserves are drained and we just don't have the energy, when we feel overtaken by grief or sorrow or distress, may we see that Jesus was there first, like he felt all those things. And maybe point to this picture of him like face to the ground in the garden, literally face to the ground, surrendering it all to God, even in death, surrendering it all to him, knowing that God wanted to meet him there, especially there, like especially in that moment, God wanted nothing more than to connect with him. This is what a faithful response to God's invitation looks like. In Matthew 14, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. So for those of you who aren't familiar with this story, there's like 5,000 people and they're hungry and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, these people are really hungry, Like, we should let them go eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they say, well all we have is five loaves and two fish. And Jesus miraculously takes the five loaves and two fish and he multiplies it so that it's enough to feed everybody who's there. So, once everyone's fed, Jesus leaves. He goes off on a hillside to pray and to be with God. In the climax of the story, when he could have, he just performed a huge miracle, right? Like he could have stayed and soaked up all the praise and all the glory and all the accolades. He just sort of like gracefully exits stage left and he goes to God. And I think what this shows us is that Jesus didn't get his identity from those things. Yes, he performed miracles. He did amazing healings and um, all sorts of different things, but he didn't get his value or his sense of worth there. He got his identity from his father. So Jesus surrenders his identity into God's loving care. He responds to God's invitation to connect with him, and then he lives his entire life from that place. In his book, Surrender to Love, David G. Benner argues that there are two primary components to our walk with God, love and surrender. He says, Christian obedience should always be based on surrender to a person, not simply acceptance of an obligation. It is surrender to love, not submission to a duty. So Benner paints for us this picture that God loves us, that he invites us to receive that love, and then to surrender all of who we are in response. We get this idea that being a Christ follower isn't about like pushing and pulling and striving. It's not acceptance of an obligation or submission to a duty. Rather, we acknowledge that God loves us, that he's turned towards us, and then we live out in surrender to that truth. Not striving, surrender and we see that in Jesus. So I wanna take a moment just to invite us to think about what that will look like for us. To stop thinking about prayer as something that happens on our terms, on our time, where we sort of like set the agenda and bring God like a list of things that we want him to kind of pull through for on us. And I also wanna caution us against just thinking about this as like a new prayer technique Right? I used to pray this way, but now I'm gonna pray this way and hope it's more efficient and God hears me. It's not that. Rather, we look up and we fix our eyes on God. And this is really important, you guys, because how we see God will determine how we approach prayer. How we see God will determine how we approach prayer. So we fix our eyes on God as loving father and as first mover who is out ahead of us in all things. And then when we do that, it opens us up to see how God is at work in the world. He's already out ahead of us. And once we kind of get this, we start to see the ways that he's out at work inviting every single human being that he made and conferred with his dignity, inviting to enter into communion with him, right? He's inviting all of us to enter into that communion, And it opens us up to see the ways that he's already at work in our lives, inviting us to walk with him and to turn towards him. As we saw in 1 John, God loved us first. And when we truly comprehend this, we're afraid to stop striving and just kind of step into that invitation. We see that God has turned towards us, and we get to turn back towards him and then live our entire lives from that place. We get to take every little nook and cranny of our lives, our big decisions, our times of need, our stressful situations, our sense of identity, our ordinary, mundane, unexciting tasks, we get to surrender all of it to God. As opposed to sort of doing things on our own terms and then having like a few little things that we want to bring to God. Hey God, I'm okay over here, like I got all this, but if you could just come through and like this, this, and this for me. Not that. We wanna surrender all of it to God in love. As Jesus did. So our communion with God isn't just dependent on us. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on a God who's always inviting us to connect and who's always turned towards us in love. Let's step into that love together. So we have some action steps. If you hear this message and you have a a strong sense of how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to lead, lead into it, I encourage you to do that. But if you don't, we have some steps that can help you think about how to kind of integrate this and reflect on it in your life. First, I would invite you just to reflect on how you view prayer. Do you see it as a spiritual task that's born of your own efforts or do you see it as a response to the invitation of a loving father who wants to connect with you? And then spend some time this week just responding to God's invitation to connect. All right, before I pray for us, I just wanna do a quick reminder that we have our DNA class. And so if you've registered, um, we have that class out in the lobby here. If you didn't register, but you'd really like to come, go ahead and come. We might have some extra sandwiches. And if not, Max said he would give you his. Um, So yeah, really encourage you guys to come. It's a great opportunity to get to know about the church and meet some of the staff and things like that. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much that you are always turned towards us in love. God, I thank you that even when we mess up and we turn our backs on you and we go our own way that you pursue us and that you long to connect with us. I thank you for your grace that you never give up on us. And I just pray for us that we would receive the fullness of that love. And that as we receive the fullness of your love, God, that we would be transformed. That we would become truly a changed people who are able to take your love and to bring it out into the world and to share it with others. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for this time and I pray that you would just help it to sink into our hearts and to change us as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, go in the love of God.